Good morning, everyone. Well, let's try that again. Good morning, everyone. I'll take a lesson from Joe on that one. Good to see everybody, and Happy New Year if you weren't here last week. We're glad to see you all. This morning, we are starting a new series, a preaching series in the book of Philippians, and this is a a letter of Paul, and it'll be taking us over the next several weeks and months as we preach through this, and one of my old, uh, excuse me, New Testament professors in seminary used to say that whenever we are reading one of the letters of the New Testament, then we are in some ways reading someone else's mail. We are reading someone else's mail from 2,000 years ago. This was written by a specific person to a specific community in a specific time and place. These are people who know each other. And Paul is addressing specific things in their relationship between each other. There are things that are addressed in this letter that we as 21st century Christians uh, just aren't a part of. And yet at the same time, we believe that by the Holy Spirit, these words are scripture. And they are God's word to us even now. They are still living and active. And that there is a message for us in this book of Philippians. And so this is true for us as individuals, uh, that we trust that this is God's word to us, to form us and to shape us, but we also believe that this is God's word to us as a church. This is God's word for us as a church, as the body of Christ. Paul wrote this letter to a church to form them as the people of God, or to help form them as the people of God, as a community of believers. And so as we read through Philippians, as we work our way through it over the next few months, I would say that we want to ask not just what is God saying to me in Philippians as we go through it, but we also want to ask what is God saying to us? What does God want to say to us as a church at the International Church of Prague through the book of Philippians. So let that be a question that rests in your mind over these next several weeks and months as we go through this book. How is God working to shape us as the body of Christ here at ICP? What is he seeking to do in our life together? And if I may, I'd like to give you all an optional homework assignment, an optional homework assignment. If you want to take the most out of this sermon series, then go read the book of Philippians. That is the best thing that you can do. And it takes up about four pages in your Bible. You could read it during your coffee one morning, during breakfast, during lunch. But take some time to go and read this book from start to finish and see what the message is in this book. And in fact, you could do that once a week, this whole preaching series, and it wouldn't take up that much of your time, and you will get all the more out of it. So again, an optional assignment. We won't be checking in to see, uh, but you can do that, and I think you will get a lot more out of this sermon series as we do that. So uh, with all that being said, let's turn to our passage this morning, and we're going to be reading Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Hear with me the word of the Lord. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all of God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you 
will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So Heavenly Father, we pray this morning that you would speak to us once again and that whatever you have to say to us as a church, that we would hear it today. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. So before we really dig into our passage today, I thought it would be good to give a little bit of of background and context on the book of Philippians. We won't spend a whole lot of time on this, uh, but these are things that are just to be aware of, the context into which Paul is writing this letter. He's writing to uh, a church in the city of Philippi, which was a prominent city in Macedonia. It was named after Philip, who was the father of Alexander the Great. Many of us have heard of Alexander the Great. It was named after him, and it was founded uh, many hundreds of years B.C., But at this point, the time that Paul is writing to them, many uh, Roman military officers, retired Roman military officers, had settled there. They were being given land there as sort of a reward for their service. And so there is great pride in this place in people being Roman citizens. They have a lot of ties to the Roman Empire. And Paul established the church there after receiving a vision. And you can read about this in chapter 16 in the book of Acts. And again, uh, go and look that up. It's a great story. Many of you are probably familiar with it. But Paul was on his second missionary journey, and he was traveling around and spreading the gospel through Asia Minor, in different parts of Asia Minor. And he was trying to get into certain places. And the scriptures tell us that he was being stopped, that the Holy Spirit was actually keeping him from going into these certain places and preaching the gospel in those places that he wanted to go. And so one night, uh, presumably in a dream, but Paul had a vision. Paul has a vision of a man from Macedonia and saying to him, come and help us. Come and help us. And so Paul rightfully interpreted that as a word from the Lord to go and to preach the gospel in Macedonia. And so he and Silas at that point, they traveled to Philippi and they started to preach the gospel there. And they found people who were receptive to it, especially a group of faithful Jewish women. There was no synagogue there at the time. And so they were meeting for prayer. And Paul met them and he shared the gospel with them and they were receptive to it. And they gave their lives to Christ and they were baptized. They, uh, their whole households, uh, often for many of them, were baptized. And we see this especially with the example of Lydia. And there's many other miraculous things that happen in Acts chapter 16 with the founding of the church there. And again, I would encourage you to go read it. But this was the beginning of the foundation of this church and of Paul's relationship with the people in Philippi. And so Paul is now writing this letter to them from prison. Paul was imprisoned many times throughout his life and ministry. He most likely wrote this letter from his imprisonment in Rome around 61 AD, which would have been near the end of his life and ministry, the last couple years of his life. And the overall tone of this letter is joy. 
the overall tone of this letter is joy. He uses some for, form of the word joy throughout the letter. When we were praying uh, as the, the worship leaders before the service, uh, Alazar said, let your joy out. Let your joy out. And I said, that's what we're going to be talking about this morning and over the next couple months. Philippians is a book about joy. It's one of the main themes that will come up from this. And so we'll get a chance to talk more and more about the joy of the Lord over the next couple months. But sort of the big picture theme that I'd like for us to keep in mind uh, as we go through this is Paul's claim that for him to live is Christ. To live is Christ. This is a quote that comes from the passage that we'll be looking at next week, but it speaks to Paul's view of the Christian life. What does it mean to follow Christ? What does it mean to follow Christ? What does that look like? For Paul, once we put our faith in Christ, our lives are meant to be patterned after his, after Christ's in some way. Our lives become bound up with Christ's life, and we are to be found in Christ. These are all different ways that Paul talks about the Christian life. You might think of it the way that that John the Baptist says it. He points at Jesus and says, I must become less so that he can become more. And that's true for all of us as Christians. At some point, when we put our faith in Christ, we have to be able to say, I must become less so that Christ may become more. I think Paul explains it best himself in his letter to the uh, Galatians in chapter 2, verse 20. He says this, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. This is a great verse. It's worth committing to memory to just have it in your mind to draw from from time to time. To live is Christ. It's a big idea in all of Paul's writing and in his theology. It's one that Philippians can teach us much about. And of course, for Christians, the irony is that the more and more we lose ourselves in Christ, the more we actually find our true selves in him and true life in him. The more we lose ourselves in Christ, the more we become less so that he can become more, the more we actually find our true selves and true life in him. So all that being said, we'll look at our passage this morning, and there are three things that Paul does in this passage that I'd like for us to highlight and explore a little bit. The first thing that Paul does is he gives thanks. He gives thanks for the church in Philippi with great joy. The second thing he does is he proclaims God's faithfulness to them. And then the third thing he does is he shares his prayer for them. So we're going to look at each of those three things. One, Paul gives thanks for them. Two, Paul proclaims God's faithfulness to them. And the third thing he does is he shares his prayer for them. So first, Paul starts by giving thanks for them. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. I thank my God every time I remember you. Every time I pray for you, I pray with joy. We see joy is here right from the very beginning, that Paul loves this community. From the very beginning of the letter, you immediately know that these are people that Paul loves and cares deeply about. He sees them as his friends. A lot of people describe this as a letter of friendship. These were people that Paul knows well. He's visited with them. He has pastored them. He has prayed for them. He's been invested in them from very early on, from when he first met them in Acts chapter 16. He is deeply invested in the church there. 
And they are a people who have brought him much joy in his life. And he gives thanks to God for them. And they, in turn, love Paul back. They're invested in him and in his ministry. And so there's this reciprocal love and joy that goes between Paul and the church there. And Paul is grateful for what he calls uh, their partnership in the gospel. He says, from the first day until now, we have been partnered in the gospel. They have been in it together, proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, his life and his death and his resurrection, the forgiveness of sins, the life everlasting. And they've been living as if that really matters, as if this is the only thing that matters in their life. And this partnership uh, that Paul has with them has been in two specific ways. The first is this, that they have supported Paul in his personal ministry. They have sent him money and provisions. Uh, Most recently, while he's been in prison in Rome, they've responded to his requests for help. They have supported him. And so they have partnered with him in the gospel in that way. And part of the purpose of this letter is for Paul to say thank you to them for that support. We'll get that to to that at the end of the letter, but Paul is thanking them for their support for him. And the second way that they've been partnered with him, though, is that this is a church that has been actively involved in spreading the gospel themselves. They've been sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with others around them, and their church has grown as a result. In other words, they haven't just left it to Paul to go and share the gospel around the Roman Empire, but they have been actively involved in doing that themselves in their own city. And so this is how they have been in it with him. This is how they have been partnered in the gospel with him. And it's a great thing that we see there. What I love about the idea of partnership, the way that Paul talks about it, partnership in the gospel, is that it's not a picture of of a pastor and church leadership, elders and deacons, ministering to a congregation, but it's a picture of a pastor and elders and deacons, the leadership of a church, and a congregation all in it together, ministering to one another together, uh, serving each other uh, together, worshiping together, sharing life together, serving together sharing in God's mission together, spreading the good news of Jesus Christ together. They are partnered together in the gospel. Everyone is involved. We even see this from the greeting that Paul gives. He says, this letter is to all of God's holy people in Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons. It's for all of you. I want to encourage all of you in the work that you are doing for the gospel. This is the way the church is supposed to be at its best. People partnered together in the ministry of the gospel and joyfully partnered together. It's not always a given. Joyfully partnered together. That's important as part of this. This is what we hope to see in any church, that there's a desire for a church to see people's lives shaped by the grace of God, whether these are people within the church or people outside of the church. And there's a praying and a working toward that end. And there's a real spirit of being in it together, the way that Paul talks about here. And there's a belief that the gospel matters for people's lives. It's important to be in part of uh, the community like that. And then Paul goes from giving thanks for them and telling them why, this partnership in the gospel, he goes from thanksgiving and moves to proclaiming God's faithfulness over them. He moves to proclaiming God's faithfulness over them. He says, I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to carry it on to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. 
It's a great verse. It's a great verse. One of my favorites. Another one worth committing to memory. This is the heart of Paul's message to the Philippians and really the heart of the gospel, that God is faithful to his people. I love the worship songs we were singing this morning because they just kept talking about that, God's faithfulness to us as his people. This is something that we can trace throughout all of Scripture, even from the time of Adam and Eve's sin and their exile from the garden. God is already foretelling the coming of Christ and the defeat of the serpent. And we see this all throughout the Psalms. They bear this out. Many of them list the events in the history of Israel, uh, giving witness to God's faithfulness to Israel throughout the generations. We see God's faithfulness in the calling of Abraham. We see God's faithfulness in the deliverance of the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. We see God's faithfulness in giving Israel the promised land and sending the prophets to call Israel to return to him when they have gone astray and bringing them out of exile in Babylon and in Assyria, and sending his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to redeem us from our sin, and giving us his word and his spirit so that we might know him even now in this life, and in his promise to return one day to set all things right. This is where we see God's faithfulness displayed to us throughout the story of Scripture. The story of the whole Bible is the story of God's faithfulness to us in spite of our fickleness towards him. It's the story of God's relentless pursuit of the people that he has made and his determination to redeem them, often in spite of ourselves. God is faithful. And the ultimate image we are given of his faithfulness is Christ on the cross, taking all of our sin upon himself, so that we might find true life in him, the life that God intended for us. What Paul is saying here in verse six is that God's faithfulness, which we can see on a grand scale, the redemption of the world, plays out in each one of our own lives as well. God is at work in your life, friends in Christ. God is at work in your life and he will be faithful to complete that work. As long as you have breath, God is not done with you. N.T. Wright, uh, who I like to quote, you've heard me quote him many times before, puts it very simply, what God begins, he completes, or God finishes what he starts. This is a good thing to be reminded of when we feel far away from God, or when God feels far away from us, or when sin seems to be winning out in our lives, or when the walls and mountains in our lives seem too big for us to conquer. When we're doubting or discouraged, we need to remember that God is faithful, and what he begins, he will complete. The hope that Paul has for the Philippians isn't based on their inherent faithfulness or on their good deeds, on any fruit that they're producing themselves. Paul's confidence for the Philippians is based on God's faithfulness and that he sees how God is at work among them. It's God's faithfulness that is the key and what we put our hope in as Christians. There's a great description of God's faithfulness that I found one time reading through a book called Christianity Rediscovered. It's a book that was written by a man named Vincent Donovan, and Donovan was a Catholic priest who became a missionary to the Maasai people in East Africa. 
And he found that after these communities came to faith, that they reinterpreted the gospel for him in powerful and compelling ways. They helped him understand the gospel in new ways that he had not considered before. And in this book, he recounts a conversation with a Maasai elder he was having one day about the struggles he was having in his own faith. And Donovan writes this. It's a long quote, so bear with me. He says, I was sitting talking with a Maasai elder about the agony of belief and unbelief. And he pointed out that the word that we had used to convey faith was not a very satisfactory word in their language. It meant literally to agree to. I myself knew that the word had that shortcoming. He said, to believe like that was similar to a white hunter shooting an animal with his gun from a great distance. Only his eyes and his fingers took part in the act. We should find another word. He said, for a man really to believe is like a lion going after its prey. His nose and eyes and ears pick up the prey. His legs give him the speed to catch it. And all the power of his body is involved in the terrible death leap and the single blow to the neck with the front paw, that blow that actually kills And as the animal goes down, the lion envelops it in his arms and pulls it to himself and makes it part of himself. This is the way that a lion kills. This is the way a man believes. This is what faith is. Donovan says, I looked at the elder in silence and amazement. Faith understood like that what would explain why when my own was gone, I ached in every fiber of my being. But my wise old teacher was not finished yet. We did not search you out, Padre, he said to me. We did not even want you to come to us. You searched us out. You followed us away from your house into the bush, into the plains, into the steppes where our cattle are, into the hills where we take our cattle for water, into our villages, into our homes. You told us of the high God and how we must search for him, even leave our land and our people to find him. But we have not done this. We have not left our land. We have not searched for him. He has searched for us. He has searched us out and found us. All this time, we think that we are the lion. But in the end, the lion is God. In the end, the lion is God. What we're given here is a picture of the faithful God. The God who does not leave us in our sin, who has not left us to our own devices to figure out how to be saved on our own. This is a picture of a faithful God, and we can trust him with the work he is doing in us and in this church. It's a God who pursues us, whether we want him to or not. A God who it says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God is faithful to his people. And Paul wants the Philippians to know that. And so he proclaims God's faithfulness to them. And finally, the last thing that Paul does in our passage today is that he shares his prayer for this church, this church in Philippi who he loves so much. He prays that their love would abound in knowledge and in depth of insight. He prays that they would be able to discern what is best so that they can live pure and blameless lives. He prays that they would be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ 
the fruit of the Holy Spirit that Paul writes about in the book of Galatians as well. And all of this to the praise and glory of God. Paul is praying that they would have a holy life. That is what he wants to see develop in them. Paul's desire is that the church in Philippi would grow in the knowledge and love of this God who is faithful to them and that their lives would reflect knowing this God. This prayer for them assumes that there is a good and true and beautiful way to go through this life, a way that is laid out for us by God, a way that we find by living in fellowship with him and with one another. It's a way that discerns between right and wrong and desires the right. It's a way that recognizes God's claim on our lives and gives thanks for it. It's a way that bears fruit for the kingdom and seeks to bring glory to God and not to ourselves. What Paul is talking about here is the way of wisdom, recognizing God's truth and living according to it. This is what he means by growing in knowledge and depth of insight. Paul prays that the church there would abound in both love and wisdom and that there would be fruit that comes from it. This is what he hopes to see develop in them. And so Paul prays for the church. He shares these three things, or does these three things. He gives thanks for them. He proclaims God's faithfulness to them. And then he shares his prayer for them. And as we consider our passage today, I think there's probably a lot of things we could take away from it, but there are four things that I'd like to suggest as possible takeaways for us this morning from this passage. And the first one is this, that we would recognize that we are partnered together in the gospel. We are partnered together in the gospel here as a church, for better and for worse, friends. We are partnered together in the gospel. Our lives are bound together here in this church as God's people. And our witness is as a body. We're in this together. Our lives matter to each other. And we should give thanks for one another and find joy in one another as we go through this life together as a church. So that's number one, recognize that we are partnered together in the gospel. The second one is this, that we should pray this prayer for each other. Paul's prayer for the Philippians, this is a prayer that we can adopt and start praying for one another. Anytime we see a prayer like this in scripture, we don't need to just leave it there in the scripture as if it was just stuck in that time and place. It was Paul's prayer for the Philippians and that's all that it matters for. We can pray those prayers ourselves. We can even see them as a gift from God of giving us ways to pray for each other. And so let's adopt this prayer for each other. Let's use it. What Paul prays for the Philippians, let us pray for each other here at ICP and see what happens from that as we are faithful to pray it for each other. The third thing is this. We could seek ways to grow in the love and wisdom of the Lord. Seek ways to grow in the love and the wisdom of the Lord. And and a couple of ways that we might do that are just the things that God has given us as the church to do from the very beginning. The things we see the early church doing in the book of Acts. Praying. Praying as individuals. Talking to God. Praying together as the body of Christ. Reading and studying God's word. Spending time in worship and fellowship with each other. Sharing the good news of Jesus Christ in word and deed. 
These are ways that God has given us to grow in our relationship with him, to tend to our relationship with him. And when we do these things, then we will grow in our love and in our wisdom uh, from him. And the last thing is this, to put our confidence in God's faithfulness. Put our confidence in God's faithfulness. It's not just about us and our own efforts. It never can be. So trust in God's faithfulness, that what he has begun in you What he has begun in this church, what he has begun in the world, he will carry it to completion. What God has started, he will finish. And the last point for this morning is to say to do it all for the glory and praise of God. Whatever we do, friends, in word and in deed, let us do it all for the glory and praise of God. This is always the end game in our life as Christians. So amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks as we've come before you as your people this morning. We thank you for your faithfulness to us. We thank you for the joy of being in fellowship with one another. And Lord, we ask that you would work in us so that we may abound more and more in love and in knowledge and in depth of insight and that our lives may show forth the fruit of righteousness that comes from Jesus. We ask all this in his name and for his sake. Amen.